How many times have you asked yourself, is that guy drunk on a golf course? <laughs> well, I've gone golfing with you, what, three times? Yeah. So that many. <laughs> uh, but we never drank. No. We were good boys. Just kidding. No. Maybe if we start drinking, we play better. But I wouldn't, no. No. You'd giggle a lot, though, yeah, I think. Yeah. Um, the reason I ask, senior or champions tour, whatever they call it these days, <laughs> the old fogies <laughs> the league. The legends of golf. The legends of golf, yeah. yeah the I think they call it champions tour now. Champions yeah, tour. Yeah, that's PGA, right. PGA Tour champions, oh, that's, that's what it is. That's like my mom like has to be called Grammy. She can't be called Grandma or Granny because it sounds old, so she has to be Grammy. It's like... Come on, you're you're fucking whatever. You should hear what my kids call their grandmother. <laughs> um, they she'd love Grammy. Um, the reason I ask, or I should start, I say I start this as I welcome you to this 303rd episode of Unscripted with Mike and Chris, Mike Jansen, Chris Fluke with you. Um, Rocco Mediate came out earlier today, and and today being. I think it's February 6th. I know it's Wednesday night, so I'm narrowing it down. Only 52 weeks in a year and 365 and a quarter days of a year. Rocco Mediate, if you don't know Rocco, probably most famous for the guy who took Tiger to overtime at the 2008 U.S. Open. They had to go an extra day, 18 holes on the Monday, 18-hole playoff to the for the championship to determine the champion of the 2008 U.S. Open the last major championship that Eldrick Woods ever won or <laughs> may ever win. Um, but Rocco Mediate is a clown. He's a funny guy. He is a joy to watch on a golf course. I've seen him a couple times, both in the States and up here for the Shaw Charity Classic in Calgary that's played once a year over Labor Day weekend. Rocco Mediate tells the Golf Channel on Wednesday, I quote, I was, a, excuse me, I was a habitual alcoholic and drank during tournament rounds more than a few times. End quote. Now, Chris and I were just talking about this, and obviously we're hoping that this doesn't happen in all professional sports. It would answer a lot of questions, though, if it did, with some bonehead plays, especially J.R. Smith in Game 1 of the 2017 NBA Finals. Um, We could go on forever about boneheads in sports. But... And I'm hoping it doesn't happen in the you know fast-paced games of the National Hockey League. And the I would bet there. I w- I would argue this though. I bet over the years there have been more than a few guys that came to the game hungover. I, I would I would I would believe that that possibly could happen, especially if think if you had a Vegas team 25 years ago and you had a, a matinee game like they do now. They have a lot of 12 o'clock games. Saturday afternoon matinee games. Wouldn't that have been funny? <laughs> the smell of the alcohol would have knocked you out of the arena. Rocco Media tells, I was a habitual alcoholic and drank during tournament rounds more than a few times. Now, you got to believe in golf that this happens more than people want to know because nobody's checking golf bags, even at the Muni courses, folks, because they don't want to kick somebody off that's paid because then that person won't come back and play your golf course again and there's another hundred bucks down the toilet. At least that would be the, the norm here in Calgary. But I believe, you've got to believe John Daly was drunk on a golf course more than a few times. Oh, well. And I, I'm telling you, and I know this from, from fact, folks, from people I've interviewed in the years past from the wonderful and wacky world of golf, and I've interviewed more than a few of them, including once on the telephone, Mr. Arnold Palmer, 
which was really cool. Mr. Palmer, Mr. Palmer, Mr. Palmer the whole time. But for years, you know, now they work out all the time. You see Dustin Johnson and you see the guy you like so much, Brooks Kepka. They look like freaking machines out there and they look like they should be playing tight ends or outside linebackers in the NFL. But they didn't go to the, the, to the workout room. They used to go to the bar room all the time. And I know a, a caddy friend of mine that actually toured, that did some tours as a professional caddy years ago. I don't remember the guy's name. Uh, God, I wish I could remember the guy's name. But I do remember he was, he, he was on the tour as a caddy for a couple of years. They were drunk all the time. And surprisingly, Tom Watson was one of the bigger drinkers. Really? Yes. Little holy boy, holier than thou. I can beat Jack Nicholas. Tom Watson, nine major championship Tom Watson, had a drinking problem. Well, they were all, I think, drinking was so prevalent then. That, well, I get that, but I'm just you know, saying, in this, as I'm, I'm sitting here saying that John Daly had to have been drunk a few times on a golf course, I think there were probably a lot more guys like Rocco Mediate that took their little, their little, you know, little helper out to yeah, the golf yeah. course and snuck it in their golf bag. I, I truly believe that. And I truly believe it because part of it was there wasn't the television coverage that there is now. People forget that you go back even as far to the 1970s, early 80s with golf coverage. And a lot of the actual physical coverage of the golf course didn't start till the back nine. So, you know. Now you have television on every damn channel or every damn hole and all four rounds. But uh, John Daly and Craig Stadler, they're not going to change anything. Well, no, I'm just they're saying. Just, they're, they're not, not that type of it, guy. But I think they'd be surprised. I think there'd be a few more taking a drink. I mean, people don't know this guy. His name is John Jacobs. He did very well on the senior tour after, you know, he had a so-so regular PGA Tour career, probably more success on the European tour. But John Jacobs... I remember watching Faraday one night, and his guest was Gary McCord. And Gary McCord was a big friend of John Jacobs. They lived together in the Phoenix or lived by each other in the Phoenix area. He says John Jacobs was drunk more than three-quarters of the time. So I think in that day and age, yes, there was a lot of drinking in society, period. But I think there was a lot of drinking going on at the good old golf course, too. Yeah, absolutely. It actually reminds me of professional wrestling, how back in the 80s, everything was just like, you know, Hulk Hogan always said, it's just, you know, we just all go straight to the bar and we just mm -hmm. drink all night. Mm -hmm. Or Ric Flair, that's what he was obviously known for. Ric Flair turns uh, 70 uh, this uh, February 25th, this month. They're going to have a big, it actually just happens to fall on a Monday. They're going to have a big Monday Night Raw 70th birthday party for Ric Flair. Big celebration. Who I did you take as my first round pick in our wrestling death pool that we did, did on Super Bowl Sunday. So I had the fourth overall pick and I took uh, the nature boy, Ric Flair. And uh, pretty excited about that. But anyway, yeah. So, but they said, you know, Hogan would say, like, other than the ultimate warrior who would go straight to his room and just drink bottled water and eat tuna from a can <laughs> and just had to be in, like, was like contest ready to 365 days a year. Other than him, uh, even the guys that were just juicing their brains out, uh, they were still going to the bar all night and just getting drunk. And now uh, they say, uh, if you go on to hang out with the wrestlers after the show, you're more likely to find them in their hotel room playing video games than going out and getting wasted. So it's just it's just a different time. Or, or I, they always said that the way you'd make 
you try to give wrestlers whiplash is if you're in the locker room in the 80s at a professional wrestling like a WWE, WWF event, uh, all you do is you just take a bottle of pills and you just shake it like like a cat. <laughs> like, like shake, 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 you know, yeah, like it makes yeah. the cat all excited. But, but like, I mean, every guy's on like a million, you know, painkillers and everything. And like the heads would just whip around. So then I forget who it was. I saw an interview recently with some old wrestler and he said he was in a locker room recently and he did that. He just took out the pills and just like shake, shake, shake. Nobody even looked like nobody paid any attention. Everyone just nothing. Right. So it's, it's come a long ways. I'm sure guys still like to go have a good time, get drunk and have fun and whatever, but it's not. It's not the complete, you know, you know, twenty four seven Keith Richards lifestyle, t- total rock star shit show all the time, messed up all the time without, you know, like James Brown or something. You don't have handlers around you at all time. You can't even do anything on your own. It's not like that anymore. It's come a long ways, and uh, it, it's nice to see. I mean, why? If you're a professional athlete, even if it's something like golf, where it's maybe not as important to be in great shape as football or something, you still like. Why wouldn't you? Why wouldn't you give yourself that edge? Why wouldn't you be serious no. about your profession? I think you see. I even saw Rory McIlroy the other night on um, the Fallon show, and wow. Golf has come 180 degrees from the days of Jack Nicklaus and his prime and Trevino and, and those guys. The, Rory looked cut. I mean, these guys, Kepka, And I think Tiger is one that started this uh, with, the, with the physical training and the, and the bulking up and just looking like they're just in unbelievably fantastic shape and the way that they can spin around and, and hit that golf ball to damn near five miles. Um, it, is, it is no longer a... Uh, the word i'm looking for i don't know it is now well it is a big boy sport now with these guys i mean wouldn't you like i would love to see for the packers coming off at the right defensive end i'd love to see brooks kepka <laughs> i think he could hurt some people uh, and you can see it all of them dustin johnson dustin johnson my god he is so big welcome to episode number 303 i'm being careful for that guy that doesn't like when i say we welcome you to episode <laughs> fuck you <laughs> Uh, this is my podcast or this is our podcast and i said i don't care. i know what you said I, it doesn't matter to me go ahead I and know. say it i don't care. go fuck yourself yeah, um care. major league baseball and um you know we're coming up within about two weeks i think of full team workouts pitchers and catchers for some team as early as next week and nobody is signed i i've got to make this point real quick there is something going on in major league baseball and you know i've been trying to get uh, Bryce Harper and Manny Machado on somebody's goddamn roster and nobody's taken them. And you had, I, and the reason I bring this up is that I heard today, Curtis Granderson, good guy has always contributed, you know, to somebody's roster last year with the blue Jays, then with the Brewers, the second half of the season through the national league championship series, he delivered some big hits for the Brewers, a clubhouse leader, good guy, has played for the Yankees, played for the Mets. He's played for everybody. 38 years old, but he finally, this I think it was like yesterday, accepted a $1.3 million deal for this year and a, a basically a spring training invite from the Miami Marlins. Things are desperate out there if you're signing with the Miami Marlins for $1.3 million. Wow. So something's going on because I don't, I, I respect Bryce Harper because he's got Vegas connections. I can't stand Manny Machado, but those two should be signed by now. 
I mean, Jesus Christ, your your position players will be in camp at this time in two weeks, and these guys don't have they don't have a place to play yet. Well, but look, there had to be a breaking point at some point. It's like a housing bubble here. Yeah. You, like I mean, at yeah. the way things were going, what are, are guys in ten years going to be making a billion a year? Like that's that's not sustainable. At some point, yeah, yeah. there has to be a cutoff where every team in the league just says, you know what, no. We're not paying $300 million to an overrated piece of shit. Well, and you know what? Some of these players have to be a little bit more realistic in their requests. But they've never had to be Well, I know that. But, I mean, look at this. In the last two weekends, I've heard, not this weekend, not Super Bowl weekend, but the week prior, over the weekend, uh, Harper had had a discussion with the San Diego Padres. This weekend he's he's supposedly meeting, or this week is supposedly meeting, or last weekend, I don't know, something over the past 48 to 72 hours, he's met with the San Francisco Giants. <laughs> no, I mean, nobody in their right mind would have be- believed at the beginning of the offseason free agent frenzy in baseball that Bryce Harper would be talking to the San Francisco Giants or the San Diego Padres. And, and the Padres really surprised me because... Where do they have any money? They've never signed anybody big. They've signed Eric Hosmer this year, but he didn't do much down in San Diego. San Diego has been irrelevant in baseball, in my opinion, since the 1998 World Series, which they lost to the Yankees. Tony Gwynn was on that team. Name me somebody else. I can only name Tony Gwynn. So, Greg, I'm employing you, buddy. Find somebody from the 1998 San Diego Padres that wasn't named Tony Gwynn. Baseball has got a problem here, folks, and somebody is trying to fix it by saying no to these assholes. But there's a lot of, well, there might be six baseball fans that will be disappointed to see not see Manny Machado or Bryce Harper, but if these guys don't get a team soon, they won't get to, and this is called a segue, folks, they won't get to look at the new baseball rules being proposed for the 2019 season. Major League Baseball and the Major League Baseball Players Association are discussing potentially drastic changes to the on-field game and economic landscape of the sport in the middle of a collective bargaining agreement. Okay, that's enough of that uh, journalism reading there. These are some <laughs> of the uh, these are some of the proposals from Major League Baseball and the union on Friday. They covered a wild wide range of topics. Um, I've got the list here. Could I just list them yeah, off to you? Yeah, go ahead, please. And uh, we'll just do them one at a time here? Yeah, okay, I'm let's, struggling. Okay, it's okay. Let's do it. Uh, so this one is uh, number one. It's it's brought on because, uh, just if anyone wants to know the stats, uh, pitchers uh, hit an abysmal 115 with a 144 on-base percentage last year. So because of that, that brings us to our first proposed rule change. And I think there's going to be very, very strong opinions on both sides of this one, potentially even at this table, we'll see. And that is, of course, the universal designated hitter. Can't wait to see it. Why not? Um, Baseball, in almost every level that I can think of, every level of baseball, they have it in Japan, to my recollection. They have it in Korea, uh, in the Korean Baseball League. And they have it in, in the minor leagues of the major leagues. Except... Of course, in the National League. Make it universal. Come on, guys. We don't need to see a batter, a pitcher bat 115 and potentially, if he's even trying to get a bunt down and watch him, watch the ball hit his pitching hand on the bat because he doesn't have it in the right position, gets hit by a ball and he's out for 
I don't know, two or three months with a broken index finger or something. Wisen up, guys. Everybody in the world has a designated hitter except for the 15 members of the National League. Time to wake up. Yeah, I may have oversold that a bit because I don't really have a strong opinion on it that much. But, I do. But uh, I will say I've always thought it's neat. <laughs> and that's not the best reason to do anything because you think it's neat. Right. But well, I think it's kind of neat that they have a difference. Well, it doesn't have I mean, to be that one. It could be anything. But no, I mean, the stats we're, tell we're the tale. Getting, and, we're getting yeah. to a point now where you're seeing it uh, when a National League team visits an American League city during interleague play. Both teams are using a designated hitter there anyway. So we're really using it in 15 cities in America. Yeah. Think about it that way. No, I, I, it's fine. I just... I. Uh, I don't think that there's a. I can't think of a single good argument to keep the. Or sorry, to keep the, the National one, League the way it is. The one that I really like, I like the twenty second pitch clock. Oh yeah, well we've talked about shot clocks absolutely plenty on that. On you want to speed up the speed of play? Institute a shot clock and put it right there by the freaking dugout steps. So the pitcher, whether a right-handed or left-handed pitcher, can see the damn clock going oh, down. On the right behind the plate, where when you're watching on TV, you can see it, and they should well, have no, one. You've got, right, you've and got they to have, have the it. super. Yeah, and they should have the super on the screen at all times because that makes people want to watch. I predict ratings will go up if they have a shot clock. I really do. No, I think that one to me. Looking at all these, a study to lower the mound. Draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams. Expansion rosters well, to let's 26. Go, let, well, some of these are stupid. Some of these, if but if we can get a couple of them, the on-field things, I think if we could get a couple, the designated hitter would speed things up. 20 seconds, a pitch clock would do really good. Okay, well, good. Let's, let's, do, let's do 10 seconds on each one then. Yeah. Okay, okay the 26-man roster, your thoughts. I, I have no problem with that. What's the difference? I One more man and uh, one more potential... Uh, designated hitter. Yeah, that's great. And uh, that one wouldn't take place until 2020, by the way. Right. That one. Uh, okay, three batter minimum for all pitchers. Well, you know, this has become a bullpen game. So I don't think pitchers are going to see three at-bats anymore. But, you know, starting pitchers are becoming almost obsolete. You're seeing these teams like Tampa Bay and Milwaukee and teams that, and other teams are are copying this because, again, we've said it a million times, all these sports are big copycat things. If it's something successful, everybody wants to try it. I don't think you're going to see, I don't think we have to have a rule for it because I just don't think in this day and age we're going to see pitchers bat more than twice anyway. Uh, starting pitchers. Uh, yeah, so a three, a th- no, this, this, what it's saying is a three batter minimum. So a pitcher has to throw to at least three guys before you can take them out of the game. Oh. Oh, I misunderstood. Oh, yeah, my brain is fried. It's okay. No, like if you put in a oh, guy, he I w- see. So you, you can't, can't just put him in and, and, and then pull him right. The righty lefty bullshit. No. And you put in Chris to face the left hander, and then you come batters. back in, and then I come in to replace you. So I I face the left hander. I get it. Yeah, thoughts I like on that. that. I like that. What, all these damn pitching changes. You know they they were worried about six mound changes or six mound visits last year. That didn't even come into play. No, that was too stupid. Too stupid. Yeah. I like this. Three. There's so much wasted time because each pitcher needs eight pitches or gets eight pitches of warm-up before they start facing live bat, live batters. I love this. I wish I understood it the first time. It's okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's why you got me here. It's okay. It's okay. That one, I'm not sure. I, I appreciate it. I was trying to stump him, but I was really stupid. It's okay. It's, uh, it'll, uh, it'll speed up the game. I do appreciate the strategy of, of that, but yeah, it, I think they get Terry carried away, so maybe Once it's a good thing. Once they brought in the designated hitter in 1973, they took a lot of the strategy out of baseball. They don't give a fuck what anybody says there. 
Fair enough. Okay, uh, <laughs> this rule change, it says just whatever that draft rule is going to be. So what is it? Uh, draft advantages for winning teams and penalties for losing teams. You know what that is? They want, that's anti-tanking. Okay, uh, but how do they do it? I don't know. Uh, here, I'll, I'll tell you one interesting thing, and maybe it would be something like this. So my friend was in a fantasy football league this year where, okay, so some teams make the playoffs, some don't. Yeah. But if you, and it's a, it's a, it's a key, what's called a keeper league. So you keep your your best players, and you you the same group of guys have the league next year, but you don't draft from scratch. You you've kept your best play, like you get to keep maybe like three of your best oh, players. Okay. Yeah, yeah. So it's going to be the same guys next year. So how do you determine the draft order? Well, they treat it like you know the worst team goes, goes first, first. But what they do instead to avoid tanking and all that, they okay. So here's the group of teams that did not make the playoffs. Now. You are trying to win to get the first overall pick. So now, if you if you sucked, then you actually are also the come in last in your playoffs that yeah. aren't the real playoffs. You actually don't get a very good draft pick. You have to win out and win the actual non playoff playoff to actually do it. So maybe something like that, maybe. where yeah. once you're out of the playoffs, you actually want to start winning to right. earn the number one pick. That actually I, is, I, is good. I, I guess, but you know what? How are you going to determine who's going to be the guy that has to determine? And who's going to determine if the San Diego Padres or the Minnesota Twins or the Tampa Bay Rays will never Tampa Bay? They won 90 games last year. Tampa always works with nothing, and they seem to be, at least they try. Minnesota, uh, San Diego, uh, who's going to determine they're to tanking or not? They could just suck. <laughs> I know. Yeah, and then it just piles on, and then they, they just, just suck. Pile, yeah. Then they just suck forever. Right. Baseball is so, because baseball has no parity. Uh, it's uh, that's a dangerous one for them. I think yeah. they need they need parity and to get a hard salary cap before they look at that. In my right. opinion, uh, okay. What do you think about putting a runner on second base to start extra innings? You know what, I got. I'm a. You know, I, you've heard me, and I, and I, I don't like the way the game of baseball has gone lately. But it for a long time in my life, folks, it was it was my favorite sport, and and. Um, I think with that you're I think as a I not a pure baseball traditionalist because if you're a pure baseball traditionalist you you don't go for the wild card you don't go for things like that. So I don't think and consider myself a pure baseball traditionalist because I think the world's excuse me the wild card was a great thing for baseball. But when you're starting a guy on second base in extra innings, I think you're starting to go a little... You're you're crunching up on that line of going over in regard to you're now changing kind of the fiber of what baseball was. You're, you're, you're adding things that don't need to be added. 20-second shot... The 20-second pitch count isn't adding or detracting. It's getting guys to speed up instead of sit there and jock, you know... Uh, play with their jock strap and fix the cup and all this other stuff that they do between pitches. It's a waste of time. But putting a runner on second base in extra innings, um, I've got a small problem. With yeah, that. I feel like it's too much of a radical change. Okay, the uh, last thing I'll bring up here, a 15-day minimum for the DL. I, absolutely. This seven-day stuff is ridiculous. They thought for guys that maybe had gotten concussed or something, it would be a good thing. But we're finding out that concussions last a lot longer these days than seven days. And, uh, you know, constant roster moving up, moving down, that kind of stuff for all these transactions. No, 15 days. It, it's got to be. Sure. Yeah. I, sounds good. Yeah. We, I like some of the changes. 
I, you know, some of them that are being proposed, I'm not such a big fan of. But remember this, folks, and I think I read this somewhere. Whether any substantive change comes of it, sources says, remains unclear. So we are in the discussion stage. And I thought, and I think if we went back even on a, on a about a year ago, let's say February, March, I think we may have even discussed it on one of our episodes at the, in about a month from now, let's say, so 13 months from now, I think we may have discussed it around opening day about the rule changes that were implemented for 18, but that were coming in 19. And I don't know. Yeah, we talked a lot about the shot clock. Yeah, a and lot I thought, about that. I, on thought the one that that would, I thought that would be a done deal, man. I just thought, you know, uh, and I, I did hear, and I can't remember from who, but I remember, well, these would be just implemented for the regular season. Bullshit. You don't do it and make us... No, uh-uh. These happen in the regular season, the preseason, and especially the postseason because the postseason can go ridiculous with all the strategic changes and especially if you get to a game seven and all of a sudden, you know, I don't know, the, the mice in Fenway Park are getting introduced out to the pitcher's mound. It becomes ridiculous. So... I will say, just what comes to mind there, if it's the World Series and it's, you know, the ninth inning in a close game... The one interesting thing for some people, and even even for people that hate the slow pace of play, there's something, there's just so much tension in the World Series, Mm -hmm. you know what? And so you wouldn't necessarily want to mess with that. I would consider for the World Series only, and maybe let's say... Then I think you got to include the NLCS then. I think, or ALCS. Maybe, but then even, and even if you only limit it to the ninth inning and beyond or something... Uh, where you maybe get at least an extra long shot clock or something, yeah. something like that. Like I would, I, I would not want to completely, you know, make it feel rushed in a really but good. But then I think we're situation. opening up the can of worms, or people well, are going to sit here and they're going to want to say, "Well, on game one sixty one of yeah, one sixty two, yeah, and I'm a half game back. That's my season." So where's my extra time on the shot clock when it's my season is riding on this? It's, I, I know I'm nitpicking, and I and I see where you're going with that. I, I absolutely, but I think if you institute it, it's got to be uniform. I think it probably does too. And and maybe for all we know, having that shot clock because we're not used to that in baseball. If maybe we're used to that, that'll wake these boys up by the time you get six months into the and season. And maybe if you have tension in World Series Game Seven, bottom of the ninth, maybe if you have the tension and you add a clock, maybe that makes it even more intense. Right? Who knows? But I, this is something I thought of. It's it's something you can really savor in a in a big time baseball game that yep. tense that yep. tense feeling. And uh, I would I would hate to lose that because it's one of the only really great things in baseball still. Got that right. We got to run on episode number 303 of Unscripted. We thank you much, as always, for uh, tuning in, listening in, whatever it is you do. You start your iPod and listen. We thank you. Much appreciated. Please continue to do so. Having said all that, for the executive producer of Unscripted, Mr. Chris Fluke, I'm Mike Jansen. Until next time.